Well, this morning, I have the awesome privilege and responsibility, and I'm not sure which outweighs the other for me, (laughs) of beginning sharing with you concerning seeing, savoring, and encountering God in his word. Several years ago, and is that timer on? Several years ago, my grandchildren were at the house. And as you know, when you have children or grandchildren around you, there's a lot of interchange. And there's one level of interchange, how you doing, what you're doing, do this, do that, hi, I love that, you know, all of that kind of interchange. It's so significant to the building of and developing relationships within the family. And I dare say, unless there is something not functioning correctly in anyone, in, an, in a person, all of us want to have an increasingly deeper, more fulfilling fellowship and relationship with our children. Hopefully that's the case for everyone. So we were just, you know, normal family things, everybody's together. And I said to Jonathan, my grandson, why don't we go out and sit on the porch, on the swing, just sit together. So here we are, two guys, I think it was about 16 or 17, whatever it was, sitting on the porch together, on the, in the swing on the porch. Now, had you looked at us, you just basically have seen two fellows on a swing. A little bit of conversation. That will always be in my mind one of the most precious times I have ever spent with my grandson. Why? We were taking time to be with one another in a way that allowed in some mysterious fashion a communication and communion of fellowship and love that is present during the regular activities of the day but is experienced at a much greater and deeper level during this particular time. Jesus' favorite title, name for God, was Father. Today's Father's Day, Pastor Keith will come up after this presentation and share with us a little bit 
Jesus' favorite term was Father. And this morning, what we're going to do is share with you at least some of the things that I would do, and each one of us will share aspects of this. And there's no absolute right or wrong way. We're just giving you some examples. But as we do this, the purpose is that this God who has saved his people at the very highest price of the giving of his son in the cross. This God has done this not so we can be his children only but that we can be his children with whom he can share the deepness of himself. With whom he can share himself most intimately. Who then can experience from us that reciprocity of intimacy and fellowship. And essentially, probably the most central way of doing this is God's gift of his word to us. Where in the pages of scripture, God speaks to us personally. Mostly about himself, and then as he shares the experience of himself to us as we read the pages of the, the, the words of scripture. As he shares himself to us. He draws from us. A love for him and an appreciation. And a greater desire to know him. And so this is what we're going to be speaking about this morning as we turn to Psalm 1. Because I think what happens in this busy world, and Cliff Vogel was sharing with me this morning as he was scurrying in with all the donuts for the rural rangers. That doing what we're talking about and actually doing what God, the reason why God gives us his word is just not to have a lot of knowledge and insight about stuff. It's to know him. It's to know him in the depths of his being and to experience him as we can experience no other love and care, no other relationship like this relationship. And Cliff was saying to me, you know, this takes time. This takes time. Now, before you're too busy, before you tell me we're too busy, for all of us who are parents and grandparents, do we want our children to say, Dad, 
Grandpa, Grandma, I'm too busy to hang out with you today. How many of us would be satisfied with, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. How many of us would want our loved one to say, I will set aside whatever it is to be with you. Isn't this what we want? That's what we want. And that's what God wants because it is to his joy and to our joy that we do this. So as we go through this, the actual practice of it on a daily basis will take a little time. And we're going to be talking about seeing and savoring and encountering the word of God. And taking time, as I said, into the depth of any particular part of scripture. This does not take and replace just the general reading of the word. But it is companioned with our daily reading of the word. And so it may be in the daily reading of the word that this is able to be done or at a different time of the day or whatever. So first of all, let's look at Psalm 1. Let's look at the whole psalm. Now, it's easy for this psalm because there are only six verses. And there'll be some passages that you can't, you may not be able to read the whole passage and come back. But at least let's look at it this way. So we're going to be seeing Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that is planted by the streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind dries or blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, we've just read Psalm 1. Now, I want you to take a moment. We're going to do this as we were in a classroom setting. It's a little different for us this morning, but that's okay. It's different for me to do this in this context. When I was school teaching, this is what we did all day long, but this is a different context. We've just read six verses. What is the first thing? You notice, take a moment and think about what you've just read. Just take a moment and write down, if it's not already in your notes, if it is and they've given you the answers. What is the first thing you notice about this psalm? We just read the passage. What do we see first? Let's stop and think. Let's hear what God is saying. So what do you say? In verses, you see that the psalm takes all of humanity and does what? divides humanity into what? Two groups. It doesn't divide humanity into three groups or four. 
It doesn't say that there's group A, group A half, and group B, and group B. It says there is one group, and then there is another group. Verses 1 to 3, what group is this? What kind of humanity is this? What style of life is this? It is the life of a person who is blessed. What style of life is verses 4 to 6? What do you see there? It's a life of the person who is wicked. So you have all of humanity divided into two groups. Now before I go on, as I'm reading this, I might want to take a moment just to think. If all of humanity is divided into two groups, what, Ray? Which one am I in? And how do I know that I'm in this particular group? See, just don't read through it and move along. I did Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 this morning. I've done my reading. That's great. But come back and hear what Heavenly Father is saying to you and to me as we read through his word. Pastor Keith said the last time, words mean something. And mostly God's words mean extremely are extremely important because they convey absolute truth so we've seen the psalm we've looked at the meal wonderful meal you know how some of us have had meals laid out before us and all the various parts of the meal and the aroma and it's all on the table and and we can't ready, get ready. We can't wait to do what? Get into it and gobble it down. But you see, if our wife or our, the lady of the house or the chef, whoever it is, has spent a lot of time preparing a meal, if all we do is sit down, There's something about looking at the meal and savoring and smelling and thinking about the entire meal before we start eating the parts of it. So let's start looking at the various ingredients in this meal of Psalm 1. Verse 1. What kind of a man is this? Verse 1. He's what? Blessed. He's a blessed man. Now, what does blessed mean? It means happy. The word has to do with who God is within himself. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, the blessed God. Blessedness, biblically speaking, is, something, is, a, is a description of who God is in himself. He is the definition and the demonstration of what blessed means when we're speaking biblically. Therefore, anything and everything else that is blessed has to do with and is connected to or united to this one who is the blessed one. So, 
I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the blessed man. And I ask myself, am I blessed? And then, why am I blessed? How did I become blessed? Because blessed, remember, has to do with being united to this one who is blessed. How did I become blessed? Think about it. Write something on your paper. Do you all have room in that to write things down? Am I blessed? How did I become blessed? What scriptures can I recall that have to do with my being blessed? Hmm. You see, because a lot of the activity and the ability to meditate upon the word is to allow the Holy Spirit to cause other passages to come to my mind when I'm reading this passage and cause me to connect what is being said in this passage to other passages and to enlarge my understanding and to encourage my heart and to give me a much greater appreciation of this God of ours as I sit and think about him and thank him and allow him to speak to me. But, of course, if you don't read the word much, there's not much material, I suppose. So, is it in your notes what passage it came to mind, my mind, when I read blessed? What passage? Ephesians 1.3. What does the word say in Ephesians 1.3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. Amen? How did I become blessed? I have been given the gift of Christ. Blessedness for me, for you, is the work of God saving me. And bringing me into this relationship of blessedness. Now think about it. Just take a moment. Was it required that God save you? Could the Holy Spirit have as easily walked right past you, Scott? Walked right past you. Could the Holy Spirit have ignored you as if you didn't even exist, Mike, and gone on? Suppose the Holy Spirit passed you by. Now, he's not coming down the road twice. He's not going back and forth and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. He comes and he saves or he passes by. He doesn't try to save us two or three times. He comes and he saves or he passes by. Think about it. What if God had passed me by? Now, Think about it. But God did not pass me by.
savor that. He could have passed me by. But Murphy, he did not pass me by. What does that do to your heart? How are you feeling about that? He could have passed me by, but he did not. Does that begin to engender some experience of the goodness and mercy of God? You see, because what we're talking about here is God taking his word and working in us and experience in him and receiving from him what he would want to emphasize to us concerning this particular passage. When I think of that, it reduces my pride. And it causes huge gratitude to come up and say, Oh God, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. For saving me when you did not have to do this. But you did it anyway. Then I begin to experience gratitude. Of the work of a gracious, loving, wonderful and sovereign God. When we look at verse 1, it has four stanzas. Blessed is the man who. And then in the next three stanzas, it gives a description of the lifestyle of this blessed man. It doesn't tell us what this man has to do to be blessed, but the kind of life that he lives because he is blessed. So Ray said, am I blessed? Now I can see three descriptors of the kind of life that God produces in a blessed man and can look at these and begin to determine, first, am I blessed? Can I see it by the way I live, by my lifestyle? And secondly, I can at least evaluate how well these three descriptors are applying to my life rather than just going ahead and moving on. So let's look at them. And it's interesting, he describes this in negatives, which is typical of Hebrew poetry. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does that mean? When there are needs and decisions and issues in our lives, and we need help, where do we go? Where is our first activity of help? Where do we look first? Where do we look second? Where do we look third? Where do we look fourth? Where do we look, look, look? Where? When we're making decisions where to live, what kind of job to have? What about the relationship? What to do this summer? What not to do this summer? What activities to participate in? What are godly? What are not godly? What pleases the Lord? What do not? What do we do? Where do we find our counsel? What instructs me? And I sit there for a moment and I think, 
Why have I made the decisions that I've been making? See, quite frankly, I hear believers say all the time, well, it's okay. God gives us the freedom to do such and such, or it's all right with the Lord, and whatever. Well, God gives us the freedom to hear the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit to do that, to be instructed by him. So the man, this man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He refuses to allow his decisions and practices be informed, to be informed by the fallen culture of humanity. I'm not going to live that way. How much of what I do and where I live and what I think and how I respond, how much of that is being informed by the fallen world's culture and how much is being informed by God's word? So what we're saying here as we go through this and take moments to think about this and ask the Holy Spirit, how am I doing? And let him tell you, because he will speak very clearly. God has more words than I do. He's more chatty than I am. And let him speak to you, because the Holy Spirit is a personal counselor. And he will say to us, Peter, this is not the way I'm leading. I would want you to do it this way. Go here, whatever it is. Let's be led by the counsel of the Lord. Are we doing that? Take time to savor that and to think about it and to encounter God in the answer. The blessed man also does not sit in the seat of the scoffers. He does, he, I'm sorry, he does not stand in the way of sinners. He refuses to adjust his way of life or the path of his life to the style of the world. He refuses. Because the world says such and such is important doesn't mean that we should follow that. It means this. I go to God and I find out from the Holy Spirit whether this is his will for me to walk that way, to live there, to dress this, to say that, to listen to this. Are we doing that? As we read the word, allow that to savor and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Yeah, I find in my life and maybe in the church in general, at least in this church, as I listen to people and talk to them, a very fundamental lack in really believing that God is such a a loving father that he actually does want to hear from us concerning the issues of our daily life on a regular and repetitive basis. You cannot wear God out with questions. And we take way too much for granted and we assume way too much depending on Others and other ways and other sources of revelation and counsel as we live our lives. God has given us his spirit to be our moment by moment by moment by moment counselor. But we have to take a moment and savor him and think 
and ask and wait and listen. So I don't know what will be the result of this morning's presentation. But I do hope one thing. I hope that when we leave here today, we have a greater appreciation and understanding that our God cannot be worn out with questions. That he is not critical of our questions. He is not frustrated by our questions. Every time we come to him, he enjoys and takes pleasure in hearing from us and communicating to us. It's the enemy of our soul that keeps us thinking that this is not the way to live and that's another way and don't do it that way. I mean, really, can you spend your life? I mean, really, can you really live your life, Butch, asking God for every single thing? There is an openness of fellowship and relationship. There is an openness to us, or at least there should be, that as we are walking, the Holy Spirit will speak to us, and we expect that. And as he does, we need to be aware of it and sensitive to it and then respond to him as he does that. The blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scoffers. In other words, he does not find himself. What does that mean to you? Sit in the seat of the scoffers. What does sitting down mean to you? Oh, finally what? I'm comfortable. Walking, standing, and finally what? Sitting. You see the progression. Finally, I'm what? Comfortable. Where are you comfortable? Where am I comfortable? Do I find myself comfortable amidst the activities of scoffing? Am I comfortable with that? Are you at home with the philosophy and practices of the world. You feel comfortable in what the world is doing. And we're going to do it also because that's the culture. Yeah, I think one of the most surprising things we're going to find out, to our great chagrin at least, is that the world's culture is not God's culture. See, Jesus did not die so we could embrace this world so that we could be saved out of the world to live as his people in his culture of the kingdom of God while in this world. So I read these three descriptions and have to think. So let's take a moment. You just take a moment. Are you walking? And if so, and all of us are in some way, Are we walking according to the counsel of the wicked? Are we standing in the path of the way of sinners? Are we sitting with the scoffers? And to the place that God speaks to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to where you are and what you're doing. 
Is there any scriptural reference I can think of that gives me any indication of what can happen to a righteous person as he walks, stands, and sits? Anything come to your mind at all? Any scripture comes to your mind? Is there a particular righteous person who walked, stood, and sat? Remember Genesis 13? Lot. And you read the descriptions of what Lot did when he separated himself and his herdsmen from Abraham's herdsmen. And you read that description. And what was the result? Lot found himself in Sodom. And being saved by the angel, remember, and his two daughters got him drunk and had relations with him. And their children became the Moabites and Ammonites, enemies of God. So I sit and I realize it matters how I walk. It matters where I stand. It matters to my sitting. It matters. It has real consequences both now and forever. I think about that. Let it soak in. I am a blessed person. How am I living that blessedness? And is God being blessed by the activities of my life? Verse 2. Verse 2 tells me now why the blessed man can resist walking, standing, and sitting. Why can he do that? Well, because he pulls himself up by his own straps and he certainly... No, there's a reason why. And there is a preeminent truth here about our being protected from being swallowed up in the flesh and by sin in the world. And living our lives in such a way that on that great day, the Father can say, Well done. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. And what is that? Look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His what? Delight. Delight. I think when I read that, the first thing that strikes me is this. Is the word of God... The instruction, the ways of God as communicated through his word. The person of Christ communicated through the word. The ministry of the Holy Spirit communicated through the word. Is this a delight for me to sit down on a day-by-day basis, day and night, Is this a delight for me? If it is not a delight, then go to the Lord and do what? 
So first, as I read these, this, this verse, I, I have to stop for a moment and ask, Father, is it a delight? And if so, why? If not, why? And what can be done about it? Because the confession, hopefully, of my mouth would be, I want your word to be a delight in me, greater than all other delights. Now, what does the word delight mean? It means pleasure. It means meaning. It means satisfaction. We, as a people, delight in much in the world, which, again, is okay as that delight is rooted in and for the glory of God. But do I find going on a vacation is more exciting to me than sitting down and reading my word this morning? Do I find that thinking about my job and all the things about the job occupies me mostly during the day more than my contemplating and thinking about and meditating upon the word? Meditate. Encounter God. And allow him to speak to you. You see, because reading the word is a relational activity through which the Holy Spirit is molding us into the image of his son. Romans 8.29. Why is it a delight? Because you see, as we read the word, we encounter in the word of God, we encounter the God of the word. And there's no other person in our life who to be encountered gives greater experiences of love and joy. Why is this man happy? Why is he filled with joy? Why is he filled with peace? Because you see, he spends time with the God of joy, the God who is happy in himself, the God who is at peace with himself, the God who is joyful within himself. He spends time with this God. And as he does, all of this about God begins to overflow into his mind and his heart and begins to change his way of living from the old ways of the world into a member of the kingdom of God whose life exemplifies and whose life exudes the very person of Christ. Taking time, taking time. What about verse 3? What do I see in verse 3? Well, here's a description of what kind of man this is. He is described with a simile like. Simile means this is like that. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a visible illustration within nature to show us spiritually what this man is like. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does, and all he does, he prospers. A tree. What comes to mind when I read the word tree? 
God says that my life as a believer is becoming more and more like a tree that is planted by streams of water. What do you think of when you think of a tree? In our front yard, we have a very large oak tree. This thing is about 150 or so years old. It's a big oak tree. The branches of this oak extend way out over the street and back toward the house. It's a very old and big oak. And during Katrina, we stayed. And about 8 o'clock in the morning, some of you were here during Katrina. Anybody stayed for the hurricane? Anybody at all? Who stayed? What are you, crazy or something? <laughs> and we stayed. And about 8 o'clock in the morning, the wind started coming in. And about 120 mile an hour winds. Now that's, that's sobering. And then it... That's all you heard for hours. And you could hear things breaking and crashing and whatever. And all of a sudden... You know, the, the winds would come in, not only sustained at about 120, but... Come in... I don't know who's going to, if you're going to use this lady, better wipe it off. And, <laughs> and they would be gusts of wind, probably 20, 30 miles an hour more. And Gene says to me, is the oak tree going to be blown down? Now, how many of you know anything about live oaks? The live oak, supposedly, the roots extend as far as the branches. Unless this thing is hit by a tornado directly or lightning, this tree ain't going nowhere. And so here it is. This is a tree. Pretend I'm a tree. <laughs> the wind is blowing, and here are the branches. Then the wind turns about 11 o'clock. The winds come in the other way. You know, the storm is passing through. And it comes from the other end of the house. And here's the tree. Barely moving. Now, the rotting limbs and whatever, you know, there are always things broken off. This tree withstood one of the most violent storms to ever hit the area. Why? Because, you see, it has been rooted deeply into the soil, or if you New Orleans, the soil of life. Deeply rooted over years and years and years. Deeply rooted. And the blessed man who delights in the law, law and meditates on it day and night, spends his time doing this is like that tree allowing his roots to be, he is planted next to a stream of water. What do I get when I think of stream of water? Think 
stream of water. What is that all about? What is that an analogy to? John chapter 4, among many others. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, I will give you what? Living water, streams of water, the word. And delighting and meditating in the word of God on a regular and repetitive basis, taking the time that the Holy Spirit gives you to take, causes our lives to be rooted and grounded in love, as Ephesians says, so that when the storms of life come, and they will come, we are not going to be blown over. And in this day and time, and I think today is more dangerous than any day that I remember. I'm 73, so I remember a few days. I genuinely think it's more dangerous today to be a Christian and to be alive than it has been since I can remember. And the Katrinas of Satan are blowing against the church. So, how do I relate to this? As I delight and meditate, I'm a tree. What kind of a tree? Am I a barren tree with no leaves and fruit? No. I'm a tree. We are trees that are, because of delighting and meditating, God is producing fruit in us. What fruit? Think, what fruit? What is fruit? What fruit? Can anybody think of a scripture that talks about fruit from God? Anybody? Phil? Phil? Five twenty-two to twenty-three. Galatians five twenty-two twenty-three is called the what? The fruit of the spirit. And the leaves of this tree. This is an evergreen tree. It's not deciduous. It doesn't lose something during certain seasons. It remains constant. Sure, there may be a few leaves blown off, but this tree remains consistent. So, what picture do I get here? Of a great oak tree. Remember? Isaiah 61. Oaks of righteousness. Do you remember the planting of the Lord? Remember that? Think about it. First of all, if you, if you are planted in Christ, you are an oak tree. But how are we growing to become the great oaks of righteousness for the glory of God, producing fruit as to the season that God gives us. And that our leaves are not withering, but showing the consistency and the strength of God's love in us. Think about it. What picture do you get about your life in Christ? What do you see about this tree? You can write it down if you don't. Do you see strength? Anybody see strength in the tree? Think. Do you see stability? I said, how old is the tree I talked about? About 152 years old, 200 years old. I see durability, sustainability. 
those are some of the things I see when I think about a tree like this. And all of this, you see, is related not to something about me, but God is revealing something about himself as he's ministering his word to me. Strength. So the winds of life are blowing against your house, this house of ours, and things are going wrong. Does God have the strength of an oak tree? Will you make it through? Does God have the durability and the sustainability of this oak tree? Will your life mean anything as to the kingdom of God and its fruitfulness? Can your life, no matter what is happening to you, no matter what is being done to you, no matter the circumstance at all, can your life remain and the leaves of your life do not wither? Is this possible? Is it? Yes. But how is it coming about? He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, where there is great weakness and failure and difficulty and strife and problems, I'm talking about things that are overcoming us, etc. Could one of the primary reasons for so much of this happening in our lives is because we're not doing what verse 2 tells us to do. Could it be? Could it be? Verses 5 and 6. Now, we've looked at this man, or did I skip a verse here? Number four. But the wicked are what? Not so. So here we get into the contrast between the blessed and the wicked. So what about verses five and six? Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How many of us really get ticked off when someone gets away with something they shouldn't have? See, that never bothers me, Gene would tell you. Never bothers me. <laughs> Someone did something. Someone said something. They, they got away with something. Who's going to pay? What does this say about the wicked? There is a day coming. There is a day coming. 
I told someone the other day about a particular situation. I said, nobody gets away with anything. There is a day coming with everything will be open and exposed already to God, but to us on that day called the day of judgment, where God will reward all according to their deeds. The wicked according to the deeds of the wicked to eternal judgment and condemnation. The blessed according to the deeds of the blessed into eternal heavenly relationship with God. I read this about the wicked and I see all this politics out here and I see all this killing out here and I see all this taking advantage of people and stealing and sexual deviancy and I see these things that the world says now are the ways we have to start relating to one another and not using this term and changing genders over here and people living as wife and wife calling husband, whatever it all, I see all of this and like, oh my gosh, I have to remember this. What happens on the day of judgment? Because what I want to do when I look at the way of the wicked and they will perish I want to allow that statement of God's promise to protect me from being overcome with a lack of trust in God's judgments and justice and ways and to protect me from being swayed and thrown off so I can stand strong. So unlike an oak tree, The wicked are like the chaff. What happens to it? The wind blows it away. The chaff is that outside covering of a seed. And in the threshing, in the beating of the seeds and so on, the wheat, the chaff kind of breaks off and blows away. But then when I read about the chaff of the wicked, I also remember... That the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And this is for the blessed. This is for those who are in Christ. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's chaff in my life. So I want to stop and I want to think. Father, what chaff, what hay, wood, and stubble? Remember 1 Corinthians 3. What hay, wood, and stubble? Am I building my foundation on the person of Christ or am I building my life on all this other stuff which will perish? And I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, to correct, to challenge, to protect, to lead, to give his counsel. But in all of that, in all of it, no matter what the Holy Spirit is saying to his sons and daughters, no matter what, he is saying it within the context of loving acceptance and ministry, not to condemn 
but to bring us to a place of greater fruitfulness, greater maturity, and greater joy. So I read the Word, and I'm learning to look at it, look at the passage, and as the Holy Spirit gives me pause at a certain word or a certain phrase, and he will do this, you'll be reading along and all of a sudden it's like something has said, wait a minute, look at that. Stop. Take a look. Let the Holy Spirit cause you to ponder that. And then allow him to begin to give you the experience of his presence. I guarantee, guarantee that the reading of the word and the meditation upon the word will become a delight. And more and more, we will be trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, so that he is glorified.